This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Now we turn to the latest on the coronavirus that originated in Wuhan, China. The numbers out of China took a big jump overnight with more than 4,500 confirmed cases and 106 deaths. But here at home, the number of cases still sits at two, one confirmed and one presumptive. However, What seems to be spreading like a pandemic is the fear of the virus, despite the fact that authorities are trying to reassure us that the risk remains low. More than 8,000 people are calling for school boards in the region north of Toronto, uh, a region in which the top reported ethnic origin is Chinese, to bar students whose family members had traveled to China within 17 days to stop them from coming to school. And meantime, social media is full of posts with racist overtones. So what are the facts and is Canada doing enough? Uh, I'll give the numbers out again. If you have questions, 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-744-740. And to drill down on both those things, I'd like to welcome Dr. Alon Vaisman, epidemiologist and infectious disease specialist with the University Health Network, and Andre Picard, health reporter and columnist for The Globe and Mail. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi. Uh, I'd like to start with Dr. Vaisman. Uh, Last week, I spoke to two infectious disease specialists who told me that airport screening was not effective. And I think that had something to do with the incubation period. But I think that uh, the theory about the incubation period has changed. Uh, So currently, uh, our thoughts about the incubation period, based on most recent available evidence, is that the incubation period is somewhere between three and six days. And in hospitals and across the country, we're using a conservative estimate of up to 14 days. But that same kind of logic applies to the screening at airports, which means that patients can be recently having had travel in Wuhan or other parts of China and be entirely asymptomatic and therefore screen negative when they come to the airport, but still be incubating the virus as they come through and then as they make their way through Canada. So that same limitation regarding uh, airport screening still applies, and so still we're using the definitions of having symptoms plus the exposure history to uh, appropriately screen people there. So do you still agree that the airport screening is not very effective? I I think for the most part it's not very effective for a variety of reasons, including the incubation period, the sensitivity of the test, uh, of the temperature measurements, and the sensitivity of the questions we answer, language barriers. There's, There's various reasons why it's not very effective. It may add a little bit um, to the to the overall management and the surveillance of the infection, but our main defense against this will be vigilance among the population and screening at healthcare uh, sites across the country. Andre Picard, first of all, great column about the spreading of the fear. Thank you for that. Thanks. Uh, so, what is your observation about um, the the spreading of the fear? Well, I think as you you heard in the introduction there, things like airport screening, quarantine, the public wants us to do something because they're fearful, but that stuff doesn't really work. So it's uh, what we have to do is sort of try and patiently inform people this is how infectious diseases spread. 
uh, not to uh, get too worked up about it. The risk is still very low. Uh, you know, help people understand the difference between transmissibility and risk. So there's a lot of things, a lot of basic stuff, and it's a hard job for public health. But public health is fighting an uphill battle because new things do make us much more frightened. We tend to not put things into context. You know, there are much more uh, things that put us much more at risk in our daily lives this time of year, like the flu is a much bigger risk than, than coronavirus is, and we, we just lose that uh, sense of, of, I don't know, uh, being reasonable when new things come along and the headlines are screaming about a deadly virus, etc. Yeah, I, I, I don't mean to be flip, but I bet a lot of the people who are calling for anybody with any connection to China to, to be quarantined, I bet a lot of them are people who uh, aren't vaccinating. Yeah, there probably is, I wouldn't uh, presume, but I think, you know, there's a lot of uh, irony in some of the comments, and there's a lot of, you know, I try to not, I don't think we can just dismiss people's fears. I think it's a human, natural human emotion, but we have to try and help people understand that stuff is not going to be helpful, uh, that a lot of these calls for things like quarantines, keeping kids out of school, uh, these are people who are xenophobes to start off with, and this is a handy excuse, uh, something to use to, to, to be bigots. Dr. Vaisman, we also saw that Hong Kong is barring the number of people they're allowing in is uh, from from mainland China. What do you think of that measure? They're in a far different situation than we are here in terms of direct travel between Wuhan and their city. Uh, so because we don't have any direct flights in Canada, the number of people coming here who would have had contact there is much lower. Um, you know, they're also a single city with limited hospitals and limited healthcare resources. So they they make decisions based on their available resources and the amounts of transmission they've seen. So it's hard for us to know whether uh, that's going to be effective, but you can certainly sympathize and understand why they've gone through that measure, given their limitations and given the fact that they have a lot of people traveling back and forth in that area in Hong Kong. I've also seen some reporting that suggests that the lockdown of millions of people in China may have made things Worse, I mean, this is sort of unprecedented, Dr. Vaisman. What what are your initial observations of the way they're handling it? It's certainly, you're right, it's certainly unprecedented. We haven't seen such an isolation of so many people using air, uh, land uh, barriers, uh, transportation as well. We've never seen that before. We, nobody knows whether that's going to be effective. And I, it's hard to judge whether that's the right or wrong thing to do. Certainly, we would never do such a thing in Canada for a variety of reasons. But I think in speaking to your point about the negative consequences, I think generally a populace looks to their leaders and to their healthcare officials for reassurance and for understanding that things are being done right. And if a measure is perceived to be overstretching or quite drastic, I think in some cases people would perceive that message to be that something's wrong, we need to be fearful, rather than let's cooperate, you know, let's trust this, the, the authorities. So, I suppose for some people that could be the reaction, and if people are not trusting the authorities, then you get situations where people may not uh, report illness, they may not, they may try to deviate from the protocols, from uh, not adhering to the to the personal protective equipment, from trying to get around the travel ban. So, there, if you instill fear into the population, there's always that possibility, and so we don't know whether that's the case or not in in, in Wuhan. Andre, uh, one of the things people are doing is getting masks. Uh, will masks protect against this virus? Well, uh, there's a couple answers to that. One is the masks tend to protect 
prevent you from infecting other people. So if you have a cold, if you have the flu, if you think you have coronavirus, uh, wearing a mask is probably a, a good thing. It'll probably limit the spread a little bit. Will it protect you from other people? It's unlikely. Uh, depends on the mask you get. You know, if you get an N95 mask, a really good one, you fit it properly, you use it properly, meaning don't touch your mouth, etc. cetera. Uh, it works. It's the last line of defense for healthcare workers. But generally, people get cheap masks. They don't use them properly. Uh, therefore, they're not very useful. And again, they just send this message that we should be fearful. So I think they're probably uh, counterproductive in the grand scheme of things. Do you agree, Dr. Vaisman? Uh, yes, I would agree that in the general population, especially in Canada, where we haven't seen transmission in the population, that using masks in public is not a good idea, and we, we wouldn't advise it. And certainly for the reasons that Andre Picard mentioned in terms of people are not trained properly to use them, they're not fitted to their face, they uh, don't wear them properly, they don't good use, use good hand hygiene before putting them on. So certainly uh, masking as a general population is it's not, a, it's not a good idea, not something that we're trying to promote. Uh, okay. Uh, now, um, one of the things that keeps coming up, again, it seems unprecedented, the way China is... Uh, being transparent, but a lot of people still don't necessarily believe what is coming out of China in terms of the extent of the disease. Where are you at with that, Andre? Well, I think we can say that they're being far more open than they were during SARS, so that's progress. Uh, we, we just, I think the bottom line is we don't know. Uh, we'll know in retrospect. Uh, there's Lots of mathematical calculations suggesting that the, the numbers out of China are grossly underestimated, but this is math, and I think they seem to be relatively open about what's going on, but a uh, very different political system, a very different political regime than in the West. Uh, people can't make the same demands for openness as here. So I think we have to encourage them to keep doing what they're doing, be more open than in the past, and, and hope for the best in many ways. And what do you think of the way that our authorities have been communicating? Well, it's the early days. It's, uh, I, as I've written, uh, I don't envy them. They're in an impossible position. Uh, but I think they've done a fairly good job about communicating so far, uh, giving information what we know, which is very little. Uh, I was a little bit critical of a press conference on the weekend. I think there were, you know, there were six people talking, really all saying the same thing. I, I'm, I'm a great believer in having a single spokesperson who's well briefed, uh, being clear. Uh, we're going to see BC do uh, in within the hour a, a press conference, and I see. I think you'll see a very different way of proceeding than in Ontario. BC really set the standard during SARS of how public health should behave, and they had very little transmission. So I think we can still learn from our uh, from others i think we can still do a little better but i think public health is doing a, a relatively good job so far and they just have to i hope not bow to the political pressure to you know as we were talking about earlier just do stuff even if we know it's useless do it and i, I think that's the political reaction we get and i think that's not helpful Okay, that's interesting. We're talking about the latest on the novel coronavirus out of China. We're talking about fear-mongering over this and what the real story is. I'm going to take a couple of calls, starting with Pat in Toronto. Hi, Pat. Good morning. My question is, um, my understanding is that this is coming from a snake market, um, and I'm just curious. My only experience with snakes is seeing them in bottles with booze in uh, Vietnam. Um, 
but I don't know anything about um, whether this is a delicacy or uh, what the story is, and does anybody sell snakes for consumption in this country? I, I can't imagine they do, but uh, okay, I'll <laughs> let I will let our our experts answer. And you know, it's possible that uh, the, the news that this may have jumped from a snake uh, would be the the cause of some of the fear mongering. Hi, it's Andre. I can jump on that. Uh, so the the source, the epicenter of the the disease initially seems to have been a seafood market in Wuhan. So if you've ever been to a market in China, they have all kinds of live animals, including snakes, chickens, pigs, you name it, civets. So that's the source. And that's not unusual that there's viruses that spread there and they spread from animals to people. Uh, what we do know about the epidemiology of this disease is it appears to come from a bat. So it seems to be a bat coronavirus. So yeah, there were reports about snakes, but I I don't think there's any foundation to those. Okay. Uh, Let's hear from Bridget in Norfolk County. Hi, Bridget. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I was involved with uh, SARS back in 2003, whenever it was. And my point is the disconnect between the ministries, the hospitals, and the community was incredible, especially at the start. Um, In the community, for example, we got the news on the weekend, um, and basically on Monday, hospitals were um, emptying their floors of anybody that could walk, and especially anybody that had any sign of a cough. Um, From then, it's sort of um, continued. However, we never had anybody in the community who developed SARS. Um, You know, people who'd either been discharged from hospital or been... uh, in contact with with other people with SARS. So all, somewhere all, in the community, all we, of our all of our authorities keep saying that they learned a lot from SARS and they improved. Is is it your perception, British Bridget, that uh, this case? Well, I'm hoping so. I I just picked up on on Dr. Vaisman's comment about um, using good hand hygiene before you put a mask on. I I think that's honestly where. <laughs> where authorities need need to start you know i mean certainly the communication from the ministries has been uh i guess good to the general public but nothing is ever said about you know if you if you have a cough don't cough over other people i think they're saying cough into a tissue well no, I mean, they're saying some people carry around tissues all the time, but some people don't. They're, they're, no, I, I disagree with you. I've, I've heard those instructions. They cough into a sleeve if you don't have a tissue. Right. Uh, but I, I guess, you know, the, it's one thing for giving the message and not everybody hears the same thing. Bridget, thanks for your call. Okay, thank you. I guess that's a, a big problem, Dr. Vaisman, is that some people hear some things and not others. Uh, yes, um, and there's a few points that that caller made, but regarding the coordination, we can, as a doctor here at UHN, I could say that there has been very good coordination between the various levels and communication up and down from the hospital upwards and towards our colleagues here as well in the hospital to make sure everyone's up to date. And with regards to the uh, recommendations that people should do, I, I think we should separate out what people should be doing anyway in every flu season or every day of the year versus what people should be doing for this virus. and. Most officials who've gone on the air have made it very clear that Canadians don't need to do anything specifically different to combat this virus from China, except those who have had a specific compatible history in China. 
But then there's the other piece, which is what should we be doing as decent people from day to day uh, in public to make sure that we're not spreading infections to each other unrelated to this outbreak. And that's what I referred to earlier. And that's what we're trying to encourage, um, you know, simple, straightforward, common sense things about not going to work sick, uh, washing your hands before you eat, uh, sneezing into the sleeve. Uh, another important part is flu vaccination, with, which, which Mr. Picard also mentioned, is that we have very, we, we don't improve our flu vaccination rates as much as possible because that, again, is the more important infection to treat here. I don't want to downplay any of anyone's concerns. Obviously, I, I sympathize that people are very concerned about this virus. It's a perfectly natural um, reaction to have when you see people wearing these suits and all these cases in China. But again, we, we, don't need, we, we need to focus again on what we're doing in general uh, to, in order to prevent transmission of infections in our population. And I, I, I just want to get into something, you know, uh, in terms of hand hygiene, when I've read about it, I, I don't know that most people are aware that you, like, you have to wash your hands for a long time. Um, so I guess it depends on what setting we're talking about, but if we're just talking about routine hand hygiene before, let's say, you put your hands to your face or before we make contact with patients, what we use here is an alcohol rub that is available through dispensers. And so that, that is something that you just take the alcohol and you rub it for around a minute in order to make sure it's dried off before making contact with the patient or with others. When you're speaking about soap and water, certainly that, you know, not, not everyone has access to soap and water before they're able to go out in public, but you know, that when you're at home eating or you're public eating, it makes sense to use soap and water and to wash properly in that case. But when we're talking about hand hygiene in the flu season, mostly what we're talking about is, is, the, is the alcohol dispensers. Uh, it's pretty straightforward to carry that with you or to use ones. They're now very much available in public for people to use, even in, uh, certainly in our hospitals, certainly in public areas and clinics. So that's the kind of thing we, we more commonly encourage during flu season. Andre, you alluded to things uh, about to be done differently in British Columbia. How exactly? Well, what BC did during SARS is that they, they really controlled the, the infection very quickly. So, and I think Ontario has learned this lesson. They, uh, one of the big problems uh, SARS was spread because we moved people from one hospital to another without proper precautions. So I don't think that's going to happen anymore. So I think on the medical side, uh, everybody's on board. Uh, it's a very different world than 15 years ago. Uh, I was alluding to as well as uh, the communication side. You know, just have a, a single one or two spokespeople and stick to them and have a clear message. Uh, there's a lot of uh, politics involved in health and in public health, so everybody wants to be seen to be doing something. And again, I think we have to put the priority on good communication, not protecting your turf. And there's a, I'd say there's a lot more of that in Ontario than in BC, unfortunately. When you were quoting a communications guru, the first thing you said is don't over reassured. Reassure. Uh, why is that? Well, because people won't believe you. You have to tell them, uh, you know, I think the three most important words in public health and during a crisis like this is to say, I don't know. There's a lot we still don't know about this coronavirus. We don't know how well it spreads. We don't know really how many are infected, what the long-term risks are. So we don't, there's a lot of things we don't know, and that's normal, but we should just be open about that. We don't know. We're hoping to find out. And that's actually reassuring to people. When you tell people, don't worry, everything's under control, uh, nobody believes that coming from a government spokesperson, to be honest, whether it's China or Canada. So I think we have to be realistic in, our, in what we say. So that saying, I don't know, uh, don't say, you know, don't, this is never going to happen. Never say never. So just uh, 
I, I don't know, it's just about cautious language, thoughtful uh, about how it's going to be perceived by the public before saying it out loud. Uh, is there, Dr. Vaseman, potentially a, a silver lining thing here? One thing every expert keeps saying is that this is not nearly as dangerous as the regular flu season, which kills 3,500 people every year, and which many, many people do not seem to take seriously. Do you think that uh, this will make people take it more seriously, or is it already doing so? I I hope that is the case, that people do take uh, the usual respiratory viral season during the winter months more seriously, and, uh, you know, things like flu vaccination, hand hygiene, all those things. We do know that people's interest in this kind of thing drops off after this kind of issue is, you know, resolved and nobody's, it's on nobody's, it's on people's minds anymore. So I wouldn't call it a silver lining in the sense that, you know, we're happy this happens, but I hope that's a byproduct. But I also, and I know from previous experiences and the data that people can only care so long and I hope it'll have a long-term effect, but we'll see about that. Maybe whether this will actually change people's behaviors in the long term. Andre, do you have any sense of that? Yeah, I think that's un- unpredictable. I think we tend to take new things. We get really worked up about them. We pay attention, and that kind of, as, as Dr. Vaseman said, it kind of falls off. That's, again, unfortunately, human nature. So I, I don't think there'll be too much positive that comes out of this, to be honest. The, the positive, if I could use that word that came out of SARS, is we created a public health agency of Canada. We uh, revamped the way we communicate about outbreaks, and we saw benefits right away in H1N1, and I think we're seeing more of them now. So we we learn stuff, uh, and we'll learn things this time, but uh, hopefully it it shouldn't take a a, a new pandemic disease to make us do a little better in public health. Dr. Vaseman, what would you like to leave us with on this? I think I'd like to just let the public know that the health officials, the physicians, all of the various infection control uh, groups, we all sympathize with the public's concern about this. It's a perfectly natural reaction to have, but we just want to make sure that everyone's aware about the, the real, the, the risk that's happening here. And as Mr. Picard mentioned, we, we don't know a lot of things about this virus, and we are trying to keep people uh, up to date as much as we can. And it's certainly uh, understandable why people would have these reactions, but we do want people to, have, to listen to what's being said and to try to follow closely without, um, without going overboard in terms of reactions. And as you alluded to earlier in the, in the beginning of the conversation was the the side effect of this having on the Chinese-Canadian community about people having these views and about discrimination. And this, of course, we know happened earlier in SARS. And we hope that this won't continue to happen here in Canada as a result of this uh, outbreak. So that's another important message that we should be framing uh, as we go forward. Okay. And Andre, what would you like to leave us with? I'd say very briefly, uh, be aware, be informed, but don't be fearful or or worried. Get on with life and uh, wash your hands. Okay, uh, that that uh, that about does it. Um, thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Alon Vaseman and Andre Picard. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.